certainly good to be here this morning. I'm always thankful for the opportunity to share from God's Word thoughts that I hope will help us and edify us and cause us to draw closer to God. I have entitled our lesson this morning, Too Many Words. What do we mean by that? We mean we just need to keep our mouth shut sometimes. You know, I don't know of anything that probably causes any more hurt than words. That causes any more damage than words. There's family feuds that have gone on for years. There's wars between countries. There's all kinds of social problems caused by words. When we say too many words, does it help or hurt? It hurts every time. The Bible says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's good... It causes a pleasant atmosphere. It makes us feel good inside when we dwell together in unity. But sometimes it just takes a little bit to destroy that. You know, we go back to the Garden of Eden. There was Adam. Then God gave him Eve. And they were living in the garden in fellowship with God. There was no death. There was no sin. It was a wonderful place. More wonderful than anything we can imagine on this earth. And it took five words to destroy that. Thou shalt not die. Five words destroyed that. So I hope as we think about this this morning that we will take it seriously. Very seriously. If you will turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 27, I want to comment on some verses there. As we see the scene of Jesus as he's hanging up on the cross. Matthew 27, beginning in verse number 38. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, the other on the left, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved himself, he cannot, he, pardon me, he saved others himself, he cannot save. If he be king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe on him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. 
The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Notice the word reviled. Reviled. To speak evil. That's one of the things that they were doing. Another thing that they were doing there, they were mocking Jesus. Making fun of Jesus. As he hung there in pain and humiliation, the only person who ever lived and did no sin, and they mocked him. They mocked him. It was a sad, sad day on this earth. And it was terrible what he received. Everybody's making sport. Would you have done that? Would you do that? You say, Brother Jay, how can you ask that? I would never do that. I can tell you one thing. I wouldn't want to be on these in these people's shoes on Judgment Day. Would you? Oh, they were having a good time at his expense. <clears throat> Too many words. Cutting words. Humiliating words. These were not innocent words. They were meant to hurt Jesus. Do you think Jesus will ever forget those hours on the cross? Will you ever forget those words? We see this scene of Jesus stretched out on that cross. And these guys, we can just see in our mind what went on there. He saved himself, but others he cannot save. <laughs> if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe on you. <laughs> they mocked. They railed. They reviled. the most innocent person to ever live. I want to talk a little while this morning, as I've mentioned, about too many words. There's way too many words that are spoken in this earth and in this world. Sometimes we say, well, she said too many words, or we may say, they said too many words. What do we mean by that? They should have shut up a long time ago. One thing I discovered in counseling with people many years ago, if you get two people to come back together and agree, you better have a prayer and shut that down right there. Because if you keep talking, you may just open that wound wide open again by having too many words said. 
It's terrible when people say too many words and bad things always happen. When Jesus looks down from heaven and He sees all of humanity, and He does, 24-7 He sees all humanity from His throne in heaven. And when He sees one person mocking another person, what do you think He thinks about that? Think He might remember when He was mocked? And when he sees these people, a mocker, and one being pardon me, and one being mocked, which one do you think he has compassion on? The mocker or the one being mocked? In Matthew the twelfth chapter. Pardon me, I'm not ready for that scripture yet. Yes, I do want to go there next. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of an evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. If we have a good heart, good things come out of it. We can't help ourselves. If we have a bad heart, bad things come out of it. We can't help ourselves. See, what we need to change is the heart, and the words will follow. But that statement that Jesus said, on the day of judgment, we will give an account of every idle word. Every idle word. Got to wondering about that. So I got my Greek lexicon out and I I looked up that word idle. Without work, without labor, doing nothing, inactive, idle, free from labor, lazy, shunning the labor which one ought to perform, and then pernicious. I wasn't for sure what pernicious meant, so I looked that word up in an English dictionary. It means extremely harmful. It means highly injurious or destructive. Idle words. Words that are harmful. Words that are destructive. Really what this definition says is you've got too much time on your hands. We used to say an idle mind was the devil's workshop. That's kind of what I believe this is saying. And when we sat around reviling and gossiping about other people, you know other people, we all have faults that can be picked on. But when we pick on other people just because we don't have anything else to do, we need to get up and get busy. We got too much time on our hands. 
And when we ridicule people because of their economic circumstances, because of their education or lack of education, because of their wealth or their lack of wealth, or because of their skin color, or a whole bunch of other things that we could mention this morning, when we mock and we revile, we're doing exactly what those people did to Jesus. And it's hurtful. He said, we're going to give an account for those words on the day of judgment. And if that's going on in our life, brothers and sisters, it needs to change. And we've all been guilty. This sermon applies to me as much as it does anybody else. You know, we're not to speak evil of the ruler of God's people. I don't know about you, but that catches me. It's hard for me not to say too many words sometimes about what I think about going on in our country. And there's other ways that we get caught. You know, Jesus, back there in Matthew 12, He talked about two things that are going to happen to judgment. There's going to be two lines. Those who are justified and declared guiltless and those who are guilty, they never changed. They went on doing the same things day after day, year after year. People say, well, I never meant any harm. Sin is sin. And it harms people. And it hurts people. Let's talk about saying too many words between husbands and wives. And if you want, you may want to turn over to Ephesians 5 because we're going to spend a little time here this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. As husbands and wives, we basically live together 24-7. We know more about each other than others know about us. We know our strengths. We know our weaknesses. And the last thing that we ought to do is use our weaknesses or our mates' weaknesses to pick on them. But we do. So many times we do that and we say too many words. And words are like rockets that are aimed to hurt. Yeah. Aimed to destroy. And we say it because we want it to hurt. When we go to express our love for each other, is it possible to say too many words? 
How many words would you have to say and love and care for your mate till it hurt? Never happen, will it? You see, it's whether we've got love or whether we've got hate in our heart. Jesus says, I do always those things that please the Father. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, how we ought to walk and to please God. That should be the motivation for every second of our life. We want to please God. We want to go to heaven. I'll never forget what I said at the funeral of Worthy Cantwell. His grandson asked him, said, Well, why don't you talk more? And he said, I'm afraid I might say something that I shouldn't say. And I want to go to heaven. You ever think about that when your mouth's running? I want to go to heaven. Is this appropriate? I hope we all want to go to heaven. And it ought to help us to study to be quiet. The Bible says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Genesis 3 and verse number 16. God said there to the woman, Thy desire shall be to thy husband. I think that phrase means thy desire should be to please thy husband. That ought to be our... Goal. That ought to be our motivation for the things that we say to our mate. I believe that's true of the men. Thy desire should be to please thy wife. When you rail, when you revile, when you mock, when you do a lot of other things, is that seeking to please your mate? My brethren, these things ought not to be. The Bible says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he shall make even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's what will bring peace to our homes. Is when we're a peacemaker. Yelling and screaming is unrighteous conduct and it happens way too often in our homes the Bible says in James 1:20, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God and when you're mad you can't do anything good for God except keep your mouth shut All of that yelling and screaming and ugly words, it's hard on us. It's hard on the one doing it. It's hard on the one receiving it. It's hard on our children. It's hard on others. And it never, never makes anything better. 
The Bible says where there's confusion and strife, there's every evil work. What does that mean? That's just a surface symptom to what's going on in your home. Just a symptom. You know, as I think about that passage, I, the thing I think about most is where these churches have divided in the past. As I've got older, I've learned a lot of situ, about a lot of situations that I went through and didn't understand when I was in my 20s and my 30s. I've learned about all kinds of sins that was going on in people's lives that I thought were just doing great, but they weren't. You know what turns kids off? Strife. Strife. You know, when I first went into preaching, something that I picked up on pretty quick, there had been a lot of division in the church, and everywhere I went, people wanted to talk about the past. And we'd usually start out on something positive, and the family would come in, and the kids would come in, and we'd start discussing. But when the subject of strife and evil between brethren came up, one by one, the kids left the room. It's hard on us. We don't like it. When there's yelling and screaming and out-of-control behavior, we have allowed Satan to take over our life. That's what's happened. Satan's taken over. We have put him in control. We're his puppet and his minister. You ever think about being Satan's minister? You're carrying out what he wants to happen. We are doing His will in our lives, sometimes with our mouth. You're doing exactly what He's telling you to do and don't even realize it. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Because you think you're in control and really Satan is in control of you. Anytime we try to hurt someone else, we're carrying out Satan's will. That's really what sin is. It's different ways we hurt other people. That's what sin is. Ask yourself, when you get into one of these situations... If Jesus was standing right here, would I be acting like I am? Well, I'm just going to tell you, He's right there. When He looks down from heaven in 24-7, He sees everything that goes on. 
He's there. As we think of this kind of behavior in our lives, does it make us feel sheepish and small? It should. We should mourn over this type of behavior. Saying too many words never helps. The Bible says, Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Provoke not your children to wrath. That's a command. There's different ways we can do that. But when we're out of control, we may be provoking our children to wrath and rebellion. Is that good? Is that something that we should be doing and participating in? Do we really want to cause our children to rebel? Do you want them to follow that example that you're setting before them? When we act in good ways and put a bridle on our tongue, Jesus is glorified and we are blessed. Don't say too many words. Always remember the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. When we got married, we became one flesh. When a husband hurts his wife, the Bible says you're hurting yourself. And when a wife hurts her husband, the Bible says you're hurting yourself. Because you became one flesh. That other person is part of you and you're part of them. Ephesians 5 and verse 28, Sought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. We don't inflict pain on our own body, do we? Then why should we be inflicting that pain on someone else? And Jesus said, when you do it unto others, you do it unto me. Would you treat Jesus like that? I asked that question early in the sermon. Would you treat Jesus like that? You are. Do you hate Jesus? If you hate your mate, you do. 
We need to think about that, folks. It's serious. <clears throat> if you mistreat your mate, you're mistreating Jesus. That's what he said. I mean, how many times does he have to say it for it to be true? Let's not say too many words in our family relationships. It's harmful. It's not good. What about our children? Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means with nurturing and correction. Correction is imperative. Correction is God's will. It's not just us doing whatever we think. It's doing what God instructed us to do when we correct our children. And God is going to hold us accountable when we don't do it. But we need to correct them. They need to know and understand that something is not acceptable behavior. It's not going to become acceptable behavior. And it's not going to be allowed in this house. That's what we ought to teach our children. Now if it's just a whim that we have, it's just a feeling of, being in authority or being in control, then no. But if it's what the Bible says, we have a responsibility to teach it to our children. But you need to correct them and move on and don't stay on their back. So often that's what provokes anger and rebellion. Nobody likes somebody on their back dogging them. It never, ever helps any relationship to do that. It, refer, it frustrates anybody that we treat that way. Now I want to talk to the children a little bit. Now, I suppose that I'd put in that group anybody that still puts their feet under your parents' table. They clothe you, they provide for you, they put clothes on your back. They buy the school things you need, they see that you get to go to places that you want to go, they do so much for you. It was them that brought you into this world. With your, without your parents, you wouldn't be here. And so, so God said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right. It's proper. It's good. It's the only way society can exist. If we teach our children to obey those that are in authority. 
God says so, and God knows everything. And so I'd say to you, you need to do what you're asked to do when you're asked to do it. That's right. You know, you can play later. That's enjoying the fruits of our labor. It don't come first. That's the way life works as it should. How do you honor your father and mother? By respecting them? Not saying too many words. When you talk about the old woman, is that respectful? It breaks your mother's heart to hear that lack of respect. When you talk about the old man, it's disrespectful. It's hurtful. It's not the proper way to treat our parents. If you talk back or sass or yell and scream, it doesn't make for a peaceful home. You need to contribute. And you need to do your part. What makes a home work is when everybody is doing what God requires of them. And then we'll have that peaceful place where we look forward to coming to for the rest of our life. The Bible teaches it's your parents' duty to try to start you on the path to becoming a Christian and getting on that road that will lead you to heaven and eternal life. You need to be thankful for parents that bring you to church, folks. For parents that brought you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That made sacrifices for you. Not everybody gets to enjoy that. You can't imagine how many people we visit with in this community that didn't have that. And they've got untold problems in their lives. Malachi 2.14 says that one purpose of marriage is to produce godly children. That's our responsibility, parents. It's our responsibility. And if that doesn't get done, that goes squarely on our shoulders because God was not timid when He said that. Don't resent your parents when they're teaching you and training you and starting you out on the right path. <clears throat> A word of advice to the young people. 
When your parents have said no to you about something, something you willing to do, don't whine or throw a fit. It's not going to help. It's not going to help. You're going to hurt your parents because they don't like being in that position. They don't like saying no sometimes. But if it's the right thing to do, it's exactly what they need to do. And everything you can think of to do is not always good. What I'm going to suggest to you this morning is do what you're told to do because this exchange takes place and already you're upset. They're going to have them upset and everybody's upset and it's not going to be a good deal. There's going to be a lot of pressure on the situation. Wait till next week or sometime and sit down with your parents Say, this is why I wanted to go do this activity or I wanted to go to this place. And I want you to understand how I feel about that from where, I've stand, where I'm standing. And that'll give you both an opportunity to talk about it with cool heads. And if it's something that's good and holy, then they may let you do it next time. Probably will. If you're going with the wrong crowd and going to the wrong place, the answer is going to be no. Because that's what God said the answer is. And He said to the parent, if you don't say no, it's going to be on you. So let's kind of sum up what we've said this morning. We need to put a bridle on our tongue. That's what James said. You can't tame the tongue like you tame an animal where it'll always do what you want it to do. He said nobody can do that. But you can put a bridle on your tongue to hold it in. Jerry McCorkle used to say the strongest <coughs> muscle in your body is your jaw. And God put it there to hold your mouth shut and bridle your tongue. The scripture says, study to be quiet. That means silent. That's what that word means. Study to be silent. Think about it. You know, we're not naturally going to do that. That's why Paul said, study, study, study to shut up. And then maybe you'll do the right thing in the situation if you do that. He said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. That means let your yes be yes and your no mean no. Then we won't be running off at the mouth all the time, saying a lot of idle words. 
He said, whatsoever is more than this cometh of evil. Idle time to just run our mouth and say hurtful things and hurt people. You know, when we are busy running down other people, And mocking or saying ugly things and they get back to someone and they have a way of doing that. Proverbs said that little bird will go tell them whatever that is. Then we create resentment and anger and frustration and we give the Northwest Church of Christ a bad name in the community. Do you want to do that? Do you want to bring shame and reproach upon this congregation so that they don't have a good reputation? That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. And you know, when we pick on other people, like I said, because of whatever reason, and we laugh and we giggle about it, <laughs> We're doing just what those people did at the foot of the cross. That's what we're doing. You think Jesus will ever forget that? Do you think people in the community will ever get that when you mock? Never. Never. Let's be careful with our words because our words will either justify or our words will condemn us Jesus said on the day of judgment let's be ready and if we've been involved in this let's let's study about this and let's get our tongue under control so that we'll be the example that we want to be I hope the lesson of the morning will be helpful to you and to me as we think about the seriousness of this topic. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and you've been acting in ungodly ways, and you want to turn and you want to change your life, you want to get close to God, you want to draw nigh to God, you want to get this sin out of your life, we're here to help you. And if you struggle with these sins that I've talked about this morning, as an elder, I'm here. I'm trying to help you get to heaven. I'll be glad to come to your home and discuss any of these matters anytime, day or night. Jesus said, be you ready, and we need to be ready. If you're not ready and you need to make a change in your life, would you come as we stand and sing?